0: My title this morning is Stepping Through New Doors. Stepping Through New Doors. Obviously, Julie and I have been doing a lot of thinking about our church recently. A lot of thinking. This time of transition for us isn't easy at all. And I imagine for many of you out there, it's, it's not being easy either. And I totally get that. But I am convinced of this, that God's will for our lives can be accomplished through this very messy human process, through this very messy human process. If I'm going to be totally honest with you guys, I've had moments of, for me, the process of of getting to the point of taking my next step in my journey. It feels a lot like letting something die in me. It feels a lot like the stages of death or grief, the stages of grief. How many of you guys have taken like psych 101? Came across the stages of grief. It's funny. My 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 family physician told me that this week that was all a hoax. It's like thanks, doc. That's comforting. Um But it's felt a lot like that for me. I've had moments of absolute denial, just living in denial of what was happening. Moments of anger, just been enraged by what I wanted to see happen but wasn't seeing. Oh, lots of moments of bargaining where I'm lamenting before God, saying, God, if you would just, then I would just. And then moments of depression where I would where either I can't sleep at all, or I sleep all day. One of the two extremes. And then I find myself regularly battling between the two. Anger and feelings of depression. Anger feelings of depression. Because sometimes it's really difficult to believe that God is in control. You know, the whole sovereignty of God thing? It gets difficult to believe that. Because I'm convinced that I've experienced people somehow mess up God's plans. I think that in, as I've been doing this, I think I've come across times when I was pretty sure I knew God wanted to do something. And people messed it up. People got in the way. People screwed up things. It's like God gave them free will as a gift, and I think that that's part of what makes us human, and yet we're able to take free will and use it to actually place ourselves in opposition to what God wants to do in our lives, in our families, in our churches in the world. I've seen people do it, and if I'm going to be really honest with you, I'm I'm very sure that I've been guilty of doing that myself at least once or twice. And yet, this is what continues to blow me away. Yet, God somehow still manages to work all things together for my good and for the good of all who love him and are called according to his purpose. Even through the reality of life. You know, have you ever seen like the ancient drawings of Christian saints, ancient icons? I'm, I have an affinity for, for ancient Byzantine or, or Greek icons painted on walls of these saints that look so solemn and perfect and they have seeming halos on them and they hold their fingers in weird poses and point to things that I can't see and, and there's cool writing next to them and I look at them and I hear the stories of their lives. I was in Macedonia, and, and I was at a a uh, an ancient monastery, a very small ancient monastery called Svetinaum, and the Saint Nahum. And there was a story that Saint Nahum had a pair of ox that were out plowing his field because that's how he made his living, is agriculture. And that a bear ran out of the woods and attacked his ox and killed one of his oxen. And you need two of them in a yoke to plow the field. And St. Nahum commanded the bear, in the name of Jesus, to take up the yoke and work with the oxen to plow the field. And as the legend goes, about a 1,700-year-old legend goes, the bear obeyed and plowed the field. I love those stories. Is it true? I want it to be true. I don't know, but I want it to be true. But in my own life, sometimes I look around and I'm going, things just don't seem to match up. Things don't seem to go the way that I thought they would go. And yet, if I'm honest, I look at my life and still can conclude that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Still, I can slow down and look around at my life and go, wow, if I'll just take the time to do it. most of the time I get so focused on the negative that I just don't take time to look around and say, wow, you know. There's two things I'm absolutely convinced of this morning. One, we have a role to play in God's will for the world. God's on mission in this world, and for whatever reason, he has decided to invite you and I to participate in it. That God is not standing as that awful song says, from a distance. That's not where God is. God is transcendent, but he's near and imminent, close. Close, here. And that he is on mission, putting the brokenness of the world back together, reconciling the world to himself and to one another. And that he's invited us to participate in what he is doing. We have a role in to play in what God's doing in the world. And two, we must be willing to play it. We must be willing to play it. So where do we go from here? What do we do now? How do we move forward God's way? Because seven Sundays from now, we won't be here. Where will we go? What do we do? How do you move forward God's way? We're going to take a look at Acts chapter 10 because I think it gives us a glimpse into the life of the first century church as they went through a time of tremendous transition. In it, God God took this relatively small band of Jewish believers, Jewish Christians, and then turn them into a revolutionary global movement that was filled with people from all over the world in a, in a time span like that, in the grand scheme of things. Talk about a transition. Imagine, imagine us in this room right now. What would happen to us if all of a sudden 5,000 people flooded through the doors. Do you think our organizational structure would be just a little stressed? Do you think we would have to do a lot of adaption? If 5,000 people flooded through our doors right now, would Emmaus Road continue to exist? If this is what you define as Emmaus Road, the answer is no. No. Here in Acts chapter 10, we're going to look at Peter, who was a leader in this early Christian church. He had been there from the beginning, one of the first one of the first historical disciples of Jesus, walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus. He was like Jesus' right hand man. He was there when Jesus was, uh, was betrayed. He was hiding out as Jesus was falsely tried. He was standing far off as Jesus was crucified. He was there the morning that Jesus rose from the dead. He's one of the very first people that saw the risen Christ. He was there when Jesus ascended into the heaven. He was one of the guys standing, looking to heaven, and the angels had to say, stop what you're doing. Stop what you're doing. God's about to ruin the image and the style that you're used to. No, he wasn't being asked to do the Humpty Dance. He's being asked to go back to Jerusalem and pray because God was about to do something that would radically transform the world. So he lived through that. He lived through Acts chapter 2 where they were praying and all of a sudden a sound from heaven came as a a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then tongues of fire, like fire, sat upon each of them and they all began to speak in, in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And this great crowd of people who had gathered all from around the, the, the uh, Mediterranean world began to hear them preach in their own languages the wonderful works of God, even though these people had never learned them. 3,000 3, people got added to that infant church that day. The church went from 120 to 3,000 in one day, basically with one sermon it would seem like. And they ate together from house to house, breaking bread and, and, and enjoying life together, sharing what they had. He was there as he was walking up to the temple one day with his friend to go up on the hour of prayer. And a man was standing, sitting there begging. And Peter and John had no money. And Peter looks at him and says, silver and gold, I don't have any. But what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the arm, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength, and he lifted to his feet, and he went running and leaping and praising God into the temple courts. Of course, which got Peter, landed in front of the the government authorities to have to answer about that. He was warned not to do that, dismissed, kept preaching, got warned again, got thrown in jail, got let out by an angel. I mean, this guy has been around and seen God do some pretty tremendous things, and here he is at the beginning of where we're going to pick up reading in a place called Joppa, and he's going on top of a house to take a bit of a time out and pray. Meanwhile, backstory: what you need to know is that over in a place called Caesarea, there is a man named Cornelius who is a high-ranking Roman military official. Now, he prays to God, but he's certainly not Jewish by any means. And while he was praying to God, completely in a wrong way, I'm imagining, an angel of the Lord appears to him and says, hey, here's the deal. There's a guy in Joppa named Peter. Send for him. Bring him here. He has a message from God for you. So Cornelius obeys the angel, dispatches the people to go pick up Peter. Then we start our story. Galatians 10, starting verse 9. Sorry, Acts. Acts 10, verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their way, on their journey, approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. While the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance, and he saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by four corners, and it contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. And then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill, eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs and do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Let's skip over to verse, the second part of verse 23. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, they arrived at Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up, stand up. He said, "I am only a man myself." Taking, talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people he said to them you are all you are all well aware that it is against our law for a jew to associate with a gentile or visit him but god has shown me this day that i should not call any man impure or unclean so when i was sent for i came without without raising any objections May I ask why you call for me? Then Cornelius tells him about the angel and the vision. Let's pick up at verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You You know the message God sent to the people of Israel telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism John preached, and how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. Where we are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. And he was not seen by all the people, but by the witnesses whom God had, had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead, and all the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out, even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they asked Peter to stay with them there for a few days. Let's pray. Lord, may you give us insight into our lives in this time. Through this text this morning, Amen. Can't even begin to tell you how big of a deal this text is. This was a major, major earthquake, earth-shattering, changing point within the church. This was a big deal. You read over it just in a few, a few sentences. But to understand the gravity of the situation is is, is difficult. But I'm going to take a look at, at, at this text primarily to help us this morning. How would we move forward in God's way in a tremendous time of transition? Number one, seek God. He might surprise you. Seek God. He might surprise you. Verse 9 said that the next day as Cornelius' messengers were nearing town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. Peter apparently made it a part of his lifestyle to be a praying person. To be a praying person. Right? Now, some days I miss my time of prayer. Some days life gets away from me. Right? But I do try to be a person of regular prayer. You know, I remember a time in my life when prayer for me would be all about crisis circumstances, but that doesn't seem to be the way that Jesus practiced his life of prayer or his disciples. I see Peter here on the roof on a seaside villa wondering where does he go from here? Things have changed so dramatically. They've gone in directions he never would have imagined. I mean, he's seen the raising of the dead, the conversion of thousands, including Saul, a persecutor of the church, who now is calling himself Paul. He must be wondering, is it all downhill from here? Where do we go? What happens next? This has been a crazy ride. It's it's had its serious ups and serious downs. How could God top this? Where does this go? But I think by this time in Peter's journey he knew something about God. I think Peter knew that God is into surprises. I think he knew that God was in is into surprises. Oh my gosh, pick up your Bible and find somewhere where God is not into surprises. I mean, it's just a surprise that in the beginning God said, let there be light. Surprise, light, what is light? Who thought of light before that? What is it? I mean, right now we take it all for granted. Oh, it's the stupidest light. But yeah, but somebody invented it. Right? I mean, think about life before in and out double-doubles. I mean, somebody invented that. Somebody's like, you know what would be so good? You can fill in the rest, right? God's full of surprises. He decides to create the giraffes. Why, why a giraffe? What is a giraffe? It's a weird thing, isn't it? I mean, I get it. It's got to have a long neck so it eats the leaves and all that stuff, but just look at it. I mean, it's kind of funny. Panda bears? Think of all of it. Storks? Flamingos? Bats? Crickets? What's the purpose of a sloth? (laughs) You just look at creation. What in the world is going on? We all just kind of walk around, and I just take life for granted. But damn, this is all kind of surprising when you really look at it. Like, ooh, this is weird, right? And then you look at what God says about himself. He decides to create creatures in his own image. Adam and Adama, right? Adam from Adama, the, the earth creature, makes this mud man. And then breathes life into him. And because he's like that wasn't quite good enough, he made Eve. Like now I did something. And they have kids, and their kids, whoo, they got some dysfunctional family issues, but God doesn't wipe them out. You come to this guy named Abraham. He's a weird dude. He's got tents and flocks and herds. I mean, the man travels around with no home. With tents. Awesome tents, I'm sure. But he follows his goats and sheep. And that's kind of how he lives out there. And there was sophisticated, wise, university-educated powerful people alive at the time whom God could have spoke to so that he could fix the world fast. And who did he choose? This vagrant. This homeless guy. He's a rich homeless guy, but still. Abraham, follow me. I'm going to give you a land. Alright. Then God makes a promise with his son Isaac. Isaac is not very smart, people. He is not a smart kid he's really not and he's a really awful father and then god makes a covenant with jacob very name means he's a deceiver this guy is has horrible character surprise after surprise after surprise after surprise after surprise and then surprise of all surprises Hey, check it out, a virgin teenager, she's carrying the Son of God. What? Who's going to believe that, right? you imagine that conversation as she goes and tells her betrothed husband Joseph, I'm pregnant, it's not yours, it's God's. How's that one going to go over? Apparently it took an angel of God to smooth that relationship out. Surprise after surprise, and then that Savior goes to the cross and dies and is in the tomb, and everybody's like, dang, that sucks, everything's over. And then on the third day, he rises from the dead. I think by now Peter gets it, the God's into surprises. The God's into surprise kind of stuff. The next surprise would blow his mind, because God is going to welcome the non-Jewish people into his covenant people forever. We tend to see God as only having options like A, B, maybe C, but God's got like options C, D, E, F, G, Aleph, Bet, I forget the rest, Alpha. What's the next one? Beta, Gamma, Delta, 1, 5, 5, <laughs> God's got all these options. He's incredibly creative. And I wonder, uh, when I look at my own life, it was in a time of intense transition where I didn't look very good that I got the surprise call to start a church, which was not on my radar at all. And I can honestly look back and go, wow. I've learned more about God in these last five years than I had learned in the previous ten combined. And they haven't been easy. The question is, are you ready for a surprise? Seek God. Number two is surrender your successes, not just your failures to God. Surrender your successes, not just your failures. Remember that weird vision that that Peter had up on the roof? He was hungry, this big sheet came down, and it was filled with food. All the food that was on it was non-kosher food, which means is it, was, it was against Jewish dietary laws for him to eat that stuff. It looked good. I mean, the lobster was buttered and garlic and just sitting there, just mmm. What else can't they eat that's good? A cheeseburger? A bacon cheeseburger was kicking it there right there oh man I mean it was just a smorgasbord of fat burger and pizza and I mean everything you could want and and the voice says rise Peter kill and eat inside Peter's like heck yeah no never lord He he thinks it's a test never lord I have never eaten anything unclean. Never have I eaten a defiled thing. Has it ever entered my mouth? So the vision happens again. It says, hey, don't call things unclean if God says they're clean. Apparently Peter says, whatever. Not happening today, Lord. Three times this happens, and then the sheet goes away. And Peter's thinking about, now, what the heck does that mean? Is God just being a jerk? He knows I'm hungry. He's like, here, have some bad food. Like I'm on a diet. And Julie's like, look, a box of Twinkies. What do you think? But that's not what it's, the dream's not really about food at all. Because as he's thinking about the dream, the knock comes at the gate outside, and those men from Cornelius are looking for for Peter. The Lord speaks to him and says, just don't worry about it, go with him. So he goes. He gets to the door, and he has a decision to make. Is he going to go in this door? This is a Gentile door. Inside this door are Gentiles, who in his custom and tradition, he doesn't like to associate with. These are not his kind of people. They are not the kind of people that share his kind of politics. They are not of the same culture. They don't eat the same food. Their houses smell differently. You ever notice how people's houses smell differently? I'm not trying to be racist. I'm not being racist, but it's, you can always tell when a person is a Mexican from Mexico because they cook their tortillas in a certain kind of grease. Yeah? There's a certain kind of grease. I don't know what it is. My buddy, huh? Lard, straight lard? Ugh. It's good, though. I ain't gonna lie. It's it's good. My buddy used to bring him to work for us. Whew. And you'd take a bite, and that stuff would just drip off the bottom. Man, it's a heart attack. See, these people, their house smelled different. Everything about them was different. But the bigger thing was is that they, if Peter being a clean Jew, stepped across this threshold into their house, the whole world changes. And there he is with the choice. Up until now, he's kept all these rules. He's been successful as a Jew, successful at keeping these dietary regulations, successful at keeping himself separate from these people whom he always thought God didn't like. He thought he was part of a group that God did like and that that God didn't really like them, and he successfully kept himself separated from them for his whole life. This is an important issue for him. But apparently God wants him to step into that room, and for him to do it, he's got to let go not only of his failures, but of his successes. His successes are as much a danger to him As his failures are. His successes are as fatal as his failures when it comes to following the Lord. He's got to let his successes go to follow the Lord. Sometimes I wonder about our own lives and our successes. Think about the things you're successful at. The things that you have done well and are doing well. The things that you rightly should pat yourself on the back for the things that I should rightly pat myself on the back for. Could it be that those are the things that as we continue to hold on to them, could it be that those are the things that are stopping us from stepping into where God wants us to be? Not just our failures, but our successes. Peter had to let go of his former successes. The lessons he learned from his former successes would no longer apply where God was taking him. That's a powerful thing. Seek God, surrender our successes as well as our failures, and finally step into God's future with faith. Peter made the right choice. Peter made the right choice and stepped across the threshold into Cornelius's house. This was a huge, huge moment for Peter, and you know what was awesome? God met Peter in a new way through Cornelius. Through Cornelius. It's funny. To think about this. Sometimes, look at look at me real quick. Sometimes we want we want. We wonder where God is. God, how come you're not speaking to me? How come I don't feel close to you? How come I don't have what I used to have with you? Where are you at now, God? Why do I feel abandoned? Why do I feel lost? Why do I feel distant? Maybe one of the reasons is found in here. Because there was Peter up praying on the roof, got an odd vision about food. But where was it that he saw God show up in a brand new mind-bending way through a person he would have least expected? Cornelius. When Peter allowed himself to truly seek God, to surrender both his failures and his successes, and to step into God's future with faith, God met him there in an incredibly unexpected way. And then Peter exclaims, and now I know, now I see. Now, see, before this, Paul, Peter didn't really get it. But after this moment, he says, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. Up until that moment, Peter didn't get that. I think I've met God in a more profound way since we started Emmaus Road than I had ever met God in my life. I'm not saying this road has been easy at all. But there have been times when God has shown up and I have learned some lessons that I'm not sure I ever could have learned in any other way. We can play the what-if game all day long if we want to, but the fact is, on this journey, stepping way outside a comfort zone, stepping into a future with as much fear as faith, to be honest, trying to seek God, trying to let go of the successes of the past as best I could, I can say that today I know God better than I did five years ago. Today I'm known by God better than I was five years ago. But things have changed. Things have changed. Things haven't gotten easier. But in certain ways things have gotten a lot better. I think God has a surprise in store for you. I think now is the time to prepare your heart for the surprise that he has in store. If you have a bad heart, a heart, If you have a bad heart, a surprise can give you a heart attack and kill you. The idea would be to prepare your heart. To surrender ourselves to the Master's will at this point, our successes as well as our failures. It's a time to reorient our life, to look for God to reveal himself more out of our future than out of our past. Because the greatest days God has for each of us are still in front of us. The greatest days he has for each of us are still in front of us. Stand with